1: to the World Football Program, 107.9 FM, Radio Fremantle. You've got Penn and Jim in the studio this week from 10 through to 12. It is October the
0: 21st. Is it? I've got no idea what day it is. <laughs>
1: Just for Jim, who's been travelling all over the place. You've landed on a Saturday, Jim. <laughs> You must be all footballed out, mate.
0: Oh, you can never be footballed out. You nice. Yeah, Never, never, ever.
1: <laughs> yeah, just uh, fall asleep for a bit and re- yeah. refuel and off you go again. That's it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a different vibe now, isn't it? We've got the local football out of the way and, well, Perth Glory is kind of local football, so we've got the local football competitions out of the way and now we're into A-League season and a few internationals here and there and... Uh, Matilda's landing in Perth That's in it. the next uh, week or so, which is fantastic, right here at the State Football Centre and then yeah. HBF and then Optus Stadium. Nice.
0: Picked a perfect week to come back, didn't
1: <laughs> You did. It was planned, though, wasn't it? It was. I, I feel you're the kind of organised person <laughs> that would plan that. <laughs> yeah. We've got a great show lined up today. And we do give huge thanks to everybody that listens in. You can catch us on our podcast. Go to the worldfootballprogram.com.au website and just click on podcast miss any part of the show, it will be up within a couple of hours after the show finishes. Thanks very much to Nick Templeman, who is our web IT guy master. The show today, it consists of Rita Safiotti, the Minister, mm. Deputy State Governor.
0: Deputy State Premier. Premier.
1: Yeah. it's uh, that, That's kind of cool. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. We're mm. going to talk about a few football things and her relationship with football. See if that will influence things going forward, maybe. Having a a nice little, you know, cosy football deputy premier to, premier kind of thing with the lobbying and all that kind of That's stuff. It,
0: start that World Cup bid now.
1: Oh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> We're going to have a chat with Campbell Ballantyne, who's the president of Curtin Football Club. Michaela Lyons, who is Fremantle City player, former captain, sports scientist and becoming an ambassador for women's football here in Perth, which is fantastic. Good. And Anna Dong. We all know Anna Dong. Hopefully we do. She's in Perth at the moment, travelling to and from and preparing the way for the Matildas arriving and State Football Festival that's happening next week and so forth. So we'll have a chat to everybody there. A big thank you to Futsal WA. Really do appreciate the team there and the partnership and sponsorship that we've had with them for the past three or four years, maybe five years even now. And Gate and Fence Hardware and AusWest Fencing And wrought iron. We do appreciate everybody who listens in, all the members that become members to keep the community show that you're listening to right now going for so damn long. Thank you, everyone. Bravo. Yes, we do appreciate that. Now the minister is going to be calling us. Yep. So we are absolutely going to go to a break at the exact time (laughs) so that she can call us and have a chat about football. But Jim. Pen. Give us, <laughs> give us your moments of your entire trip. You've been away for you know a matter of weeks, but you've absolutely packed it all in. We've seen on your socials.
0: Yep. So uh, we had thirty-one days in the UK.
1: That's a whole lot of time.
0: And I got for between me and my son, we both got fifteen games. Of, well, I got fifteen. He got fourteen. He uh, he bowled out on one other games. Man,
1: that's a game every a couple game, of days. Game,
0: pretty much a game every two days, ranging that- from an under-14s game, which my uh, nephew was playing, all the way up to last Friday at Wembley, England, Australia.
1: That's impressive. I'm just trying to think of the budget, the, the travel budget to get to and from and then the budget to seat yourself at all those stadiums. Must have been a big uh, whew, a few dollars in the bank account to get you through all of that.
0: I I've not looked. Yeah. <laughs> wow. uh, it, uh, it was an experience and it was a, a good experience and uh, one I would happily do again. Uh, maybe in a few years' time. Um, it was nice to cross off some new grounds that I've not been to in the UK. Um, I think I was telling Hugh that I think I've done 79 of the 92 league grounds, Well, I'm now on 81, so I've ticked two new ones off.
1: Over what period of time? Lifetime? Yes. <laughs> nice. So So you're 75% of the way there?
0: Well, after, yeah, 81 of 92 now, so I'm nearly 90% now done. Yeah,
1: that's pretty good. Yeah,
0: so when I go back next time, I think I'm going to have to plan the... Uh, the other nine or 11, how many is left to do.
1: Yeah. Great. And would there have been a few new ones built since you went to the last ones that were on your bucket?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of new grounds, but I'm counting the teams I've seen rather than the grounds I've been to. So, um, but yeah, no, it was entertaining and it was, it was quite interesting to see how different stadia over there have developed since the last time I was there and how they managed to cram even more and more people into the, uh, to the venue and, and, on the minor side the cost of some of the games to go and see um yeah it, it's amazing how people can afford to go week in week out um some of these grounds
1: yes and from some of the ticket prices that you were telling me or uh on selling reselling when mem- members don't use their tickets it's incredible you have to be such a diehard fan mm. to, want to take up some of those offers
0: yeah yeah but you can get a ticket for any game if you're prepared to pay the money for it, you'll get a ticket.
1: Or be patient and know where the wait lists are to get Yeah,
0: on. yeah. But you have to go on the waiting list so far in advance and not, you know, decide on the Monday you're going to go to a game on Thursday.
1: Gotcha. <laughs> so you, you didn't just rock up to the UK and then your game's in 24 hours and you go, oh, I'll just get onto someone's uh, Facebook page and see if there's any... No, no, no.
0: We did a bit of, a bit of, of planning, stadium, but maybe. there was one or two games <laughs> it was like, a, oh, should we try and go there? Yeah, OK, we'll go there. So. Mm.
1: Yes, well, I think we might go to a break and just be ready for the minister to minister, ring in. Yeah. I definitely don't want to miss that phone call. No, this could be good. Yeah. So we'll talk lots of football through the show and fit in as much as we possibly can. If anyone's got any comments, um, put them on the World Football Facebook group page and we'll pick them up through the show Um, maybe any questions you might have for the Minister. They've got to be nice questions. Mm. We wouldn't throw anyone under the bus here. We want to have a nice conversation so the Minister wants to come back and have a chat to us when she's the actual Premier. Premier. And, you know, we'll have this comfortable radio and and Premier release. She can come in the
2: studio
0: and have a chat.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) All right, this is Penn and Jim. We're talking football until 12. Stay with us.
2: Hey, hey, it's Football WA, the leading football organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels, all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au.
0: Oh don't
3: relax I want elbows and backs I wanna see everybody from behind Oswest oh, Fencing and Raw is a fourth generation family business. Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Raw Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Now I
1: Gate and Fence Hardware WA your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation, and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 6822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Welcome back to the World Football Program. Penn and Jim in the studio with you until midday today. Our special guest on the line at the moment is the Minister, Rita Safiotti. Good morning, Minister. Good morning, Penny and Jim.
0: Good morning, Minister. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, good, good. Very good. Thank you for joining us. We do appreciate it. It's an amazing next four weeks of football coming up right here in Perth, as if we haven't had enough with the World Cup landing in Perth just recently. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show and just as a little bit of context for our listeners, give us your relationship with football or soccer, whichever you prefer to call it, go for it.
3: Um, well, of course, I'm a, I've got, of Italian descent and my both parents being migrants, so growing up, my dad was a big football follower, um, big football follower, of course, uh, was supported the Perth Azzurri, the Perth Italia Club, as many Italian migrants did. Um, so I've always had a special sort of relationship with football. Look, growing up, I didn't really play many many sports. We grew up on an orchard in Rollerstone, so I didn't get the chance to play the game. And, of course, women and girls weren't uh, in, that encouraged all those years ago. But um, So I've always had a special, special place. And then I had three children, and um, when they were very young, you know, three or four got them into into the game and my all three children continue to play the game. We've got a 13-year-old and a two, and 11-year-old twins and they all play the game and over the past few years especially, uh, my kids have become very much obsessed with it and what's happening, you know, in the EPL, in the other leagues and we've really become a big football family. So, in a sense, I started, inher- I inherited a, a passion for the game. And more recently, I've become obsessed, a little bit obsessed with the game with my children. And we we like kicking the ball around. They all play. And we we follow teams around the world. So it's been, um, in a sense, getting back to loving the game.
1: It's a bit hard to avoid our world game soccer in Australia now, especially since the success of the Women's World Cup just recently. It exploded across Australia. And we might say it's been the sleeping giant. We might say that it's always been there and we don't get a fair shake. Um, We hope that with that passion that you have clearly for football, that when you become the Premier, we'll have an excellent relationship between yourself and football and that'll help put us in an even better place.
3: Well, I think already, um, like we've already made some big commitments. So we've had the State Football Centre, which there's the official community opening day on Friday. And that was a commitment we we gave in the lead-up to the World Cup. So many of us across government saw that this Women's World Cup was going to be big. We just knew it, you know, like... And look, and in relation to girls and women playing, um, playing the game, one of the reasons I chose it for my kids, in a sense, so I guided them very, very early on, especially my two girls, was that I knew that the women's game around the world was just growing exponentially. And you see it with... What was ha- happening in England through Europe, the emergence of all you know, all the major teams were getting their girls' le- get girls' team, uh, women's um, teams ready, and as a sport, it's a sport that women can you know, and we saw it in the World Cup. It's just as exciting and just as professional as a man. So I, that's one of the reasons I encourage my girls to do it because I said this: there's a huge pathway for it. But um, we've always, like, we've, we've um, over recent years, been big supporter of state football centre. There'll be some further announcements about supporting women's football in the state over the next week. And, of course, we've brought over um, a number of teams um, over recent years to demonstrate some of the, EPL, the LP, EPL teams. But, look, there's no doubt, more generally, I'll just say, that you know that we need to continually focus on investment in the infrastructure for the games. So we've seen, of course, the State Football Centre, the first time football has had had a home in WA. That's been built. We saw upgrades to the rectangular stadium, which, again, will help serve football in the future. But more generally, you know, the the three key things, um, change rooms, the pitch quality and and lighting. They're the three things that we hear constantly around the clubs, around the community, and they're things we very much want
4: to support.
1: Minister, I think one thing that you might have left off of that list is sheer space to play football with the growth that we anticipate post-World Cup. And I'll say World Cups because we had mm-hmm. Qatar n- not too far away and we had the Australia New Zealand Women's World Cup. Uh,
3: yeah, absolutely. Um, the space is a big one, but also it's also being able to maximise the use of some existing space. And that's where I think pitch quality comes into it. So you've seen a lot of community pitches are uh, where you basically can't get the use that you could do because, you know, you're playing during winter and some of that pitch quality gets to such a point. You have to limit use. So it's, I think it's also about improving some of the existing pitch quality. And what we've seen, and at the State Football Centre, for example, the two main pitches or the two first pitches are the hybrids, which allow higher use, so I think there's a lot of investment into the pitch quality and also the lights because again, having uh, proper lighting allows you to use those pitches at night for not only um, training but also for further more games. So they're the things where you can actually get more better better use of some existing, um, uh, uh, existing infrastructure. And the other point I'll make too is that. We've seen in some cases uh, a reluctance of councils to support these playing spaces because some local residents don't enjoy the fact that people come and use these these areas. And I think we've really got to overcome that because uh, we have limited um, limited pitches, but we need to make sure we use them and that we keep them to a standard that allows uh, the heavy use, usage they get throughout the year. I know, for example, the pitches that my kids play on on a weekend um, with, with their club, you know, they get hammered, and sometimes they don't become usable, or you, they can't be used for training because they're being used for playing. So, I think that issue of pitch quality as well is a major focus.
1: Yes, maybe merging. I'm not quite sure if that's what you're alert, uh, uh, alluding to, but maybe merging different sports or using one facility for three or four different clubs that. Uh, not um are in the same kind of space, but can use the pitch differently. You might have, I don't, know, darts or bowling or uh, soccer, but not football as in Aussie rules because they would have different pitch markings. So, kind of finding the sports and activities that um, can partner up together in a way that allows us to make better pitch use. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah. There's that definitely. But as I said, some of our pitches across the suburbs, and I, you know, um. My kids play every Sunday, so I visit a lot of different uh, community pitches out there and some of them are really bad quality, to be honest, whether it's um, weeds growing on them or uneven surfaces. Um, So I think there's an effort to be made to improve the pitches. So again, we can use them for both training and playing. So like I said, there's a lot of things we can do uh, as a community. And look, and you're right, the World Cup, the Women's World Cup has opened the game to people who never saw the game or understood the game. And as I say, when I was watching, you know, the Australia-France um, game and, you know, I had text, texts from people who had never watched the game saying, well, what, what happens now? What will, you know, if it's a draw, what happens? And then, so I think it has opened up um, a, a whole new group of people. And what we're seeing, I think, even in the club, is that you're seeing a lot of under-10s, a lot of under-12s, 13s, 14s activity as more and more younger girls are getting into the game, so you're starting to see a lot of new extra demand, and it's coming through those that er, the early teens or the under tens, under twelves, under fourteen um, uh, age groups. So, and that's just going to flow on. So, there's extra demand, and it's going to continue. So, we all have to work together. We're very keen to work with our clubs uh, to help support the improved infrastructure.
1: Is there a timeline on that? They're, they're pretty solid strategies. They're understandings where we need to go with increased uh, memberships and registrations that we're expecting. Are they solid plans that over the next 12 months you could say to the community, this is what's going to happen, Uh, this is the money that's going to be released in the next six months, this is the number of change rooms that we've dedicated to, this is the mergers that are happening. Can you share those kind of uh, targets with us?
3: Well, we're working with Football West in identifying the need across the state. As I said, they're... um we very much keen to work with Football West, the community clubs, and, of course, in a sense, the re-emergence... Not the re-emergence, but Perth Glory um, under its uh, new ownership. Uh, so we are very keen to support, in a sense, Football West as the, um, the, you know, in a sense, the state body, and then the professional league with um, Glory and then the community clubs. And what we're saying, too, is we want all three areas, all three, the professional Football West and also the community clubs, to work together to try and leverage as many opportunities as possible. As in timing, you'll see some um, announcements over the next six months and that will look at how we can improve uh, both funding and infrastructure for the game in WA, in particular the women's game.
1: Is that based upon how the next month goes in terms of support from the community or is that strategy or target going to happen anyway? Your, the oh, it's going to happen
3: anyway. I think, like I said, we're already seeing the, the extraordinary demand for the game. Look, we've seen, as in the ticket sales for the Matildas, for example, um, where I think fifty nine thousand tickets sold for Sunday. Yep. Incredible. Yep. So there's already massive support. And like I said, I've been around the the, communi- the football community for many years now. It's a, it's a, it's a passionate, significant uh, community sport. A lot of people are choosing it for their children because of both the pathways and also the fact that it is the world game and you're exposed to. Um, you know, one of the things like I think is really exciting about it is that the kid, my kids, get to learn about different places around the world as they support different teams. It's a world game. It exposes you to so much. And of course, when you when you look at you know, you know players like Messi or Ronaldo or Mbappe, I mean. They're just massive figures in the world. Sam Kerr, I mean, they're massive. And the amount of support they get and the fact that they get to learn a lot about the teams they play for and the, the culture and the passion that is the game. And I also think as you know, more televised, as the sport becomes more televised as well and there's more streaming services that you can pretty much now watch you know, any game, any time of the, of the day that that also helps expose the game to other people. I was talking to a friend of mine, I think, who was saying how they used to watch the game, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. They have to wait for a a particular broadcast on a particular day, whereas now, because of all the different access people have to different games around the world, more and more children and families are exposed to the game constantly.
0: I think, Minister, though, the problem with that is that the uh, games are no longer on free-to-air television and people have got to pay to watch the subscription channels to watch the game um yeah
5: and,
0: i mean sorry and as i say that would really help if we could get some games back on free to air tv uh, to help grow this game um with, with the cost of living i'm not going to use the word crisis but you know some people are finding it quite tough at the moment if we could get some games back on free to air tv that would help as well with the growth and development you
3: yeah, know you're right i think i think Ken is uh, showing some of the Matilda's games, as I recall. So I think there's different yes. deals with different um, mm. different broadcasters. But you're right, absolutely. So I'm not sure the status of all those negotiations, but you're right. You need a core amount of games on, um, on free-to-air. But I was just saying more generally, in particular in games in other leagues, there's a lot, for example, mm. whether it be CDA or EPL, or the German League, um, the Women's League, there's a lot of different uh, access for people to watch their teams around the world. But you're right, free to air completely also needs to happen to give everybody the chance to watch their local teams play too.
0: And if I can just take you back to the uh, ground developments, I've just uh, come back from a tour of uh, of the UK, back to visit some friends' family, and uh, the pitches for grassroots levels, a lot of the... Um, a lot of the smaller clubs have now gone into what's called the 4G, which is the artificial pitches. So they could pretty much use the pitch seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and there's no the wear and tear of that is minimal. I think that's something that maybe should be looked at over the next couple of years on how we can maximise some of these clubs and their potential of earning extra income.
1: Can I just ask that, Jim? The weather there is very different to here. Yeah. Are they covered or open?
0: No, they're all open.
1: Okay. And here in summer, if we have that, we need it covered because it's so damn hot.
0: Yeah, they spray them with water. Even over there, they'll spray them with water to calm down. It's like hockey pitches are also sprayed with water to cold them down and to slow the pitch down as well yeah. before the game. The
1: sun here is pretty yeah. damn harsh. Yeah. You, you mm, might possibly, need to yeah. invest in the infrastructure mm. to cover it as well but for cer- summer.
0: But certainly in the winter, but, to save playing on yeah. boggy pitches, you've yeah. got a perfect, pristine pitch still. Sorry, Minister, go for <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, so
3: like, say Football Centre, the two pitches there are hybrid mm. pitch. So it's a combination of natural and um, artificial, and so that hybrid pitch gives you the ability to it, the pitch doesn't get as hot as we were just discussing, mm. yes. but it it's it, you can get three times the use of it. So that's the type of mm. I think those sort of upgrades where I'm not, look, I like I said where my kids play in, during winter it becomes a mud bath, and where some one game had to be caught off because. The ball just wouldn't move, you mm. know. What I mainly kick it and just stops.
5: Yeah.
3: Um, so we get we get very so during winter, of course, you know, we do get a lot of rain, and if the pitch isn't well maintained, they become muddy. And like I said, last year one of the games was caught off because you just couldn't play, or you can't train the same, So they try and preserve it for the games. So absolutely, those upgrade that upgrades in pitches to me is one of the best ways of improving access. To existing um, grounds because what you can do is you get much you get a lot more usage. The better lighting gives you more chances to train at different times too. Because again, you hear it all the time. Oh, we can only train until you know five o'clock or five thirty because then it's too dark and you can't see the ball. Because so there's these little things, mm. I, I, what I call them, little wins that can make such a massive change to how your club can um operate and how many hours you can use your pitch. So they're the types of initiatives we're very keen to support.
1: Yeah. I think we've all got our stories of ducks and lakes and <laughs> muds <laughs> yeah. and slides yeah. And, yeah. and they're becoming less over time. They are. Which is great. Yeah. It shows we're improving. And the change room thing too. I mean as a female I yep, I've done all the changing in the cars and the boys are in there, you can't get in there kind of thing. And you know, that's changed over the decades mm. to doesn't happen so often. And uh, the guys can't get in because the girls are in there. That's
0: so, right. So, yeah, mm. progress. Certainly then where my way is Murray District Rangers had a brand new facility built a couple of years ago. Lovely, absolutely lovely. Change rooms for boys, change room for girls, massive big nice. areas. But Perfect.
1: That's what we want. I mean, everybody can become involved, use the mm. pitch space, and everyone's a little bit more nicer to each other because they're getting what they want. Yeah, beautiful. Now, just for our listeners out there, we do have the Matildas in town over the next month-ish. So we've got Thursday 26th of October, Australia are playing Iran at the HBF Stadium Mm -hmm. and then the Philippines are playing Australia. That's the game that's been shifted to Optus and as the Minister just told us, 59,000 tickets are sold. I think the capacity is 60,000, isn't it? For the yeah, it's very much. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, so it's pretty p- much well, sold can, out. Yeah, can yeah, can they amazing. not increase
0: it to sixty-five if they bring the sides with that temporary seated in? Something that was when it first built, it was sixty thousand for an oval, but sixty-five for a rectangular Going.
1: Do you know about that, Minister? Yeah, I know about it. So that was when when they
3: built it, they announced it, but um, it's never happened. <laughs> oh, I think they did it once, uh-huh. and uh, yeah. Anyway, so we, we we did try and work through that, but it just became a bit too difficult, mm. but because of both the impact it has on the pitch, um, yeah. the rest of the oval, and also some of the, the way it's structured is about the viewing, impact it has on other viewing, but we, we did try and work through oh, that. Okay. but um then it does take out some of the viewing from other people already, um, in the first two rows of the existing seats. Ah,
1: okay. Got it. So but basically it's sold out. It. Yeah, yeah, basically. That's, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, that, that's oh, – I'm happy That's to amazing, say that. That, isn't it? That means that – that mean all the games are sold out, both the HBF – Park? Yeah. Okay, yeah. this is fantastic. Yeah. This is yeah. fantastic. And the last game, Match Day 3, is Australia versus Chinese Taipei. That's Wednesday, the 1st of November. And you did allude to it that the football festival, I love saying that word because it means lots of community involvement, is happening on October the 27th, which is Friday, Friday. the 27th. And that was a free ticket event which got capped. And I think the tickets got taken within a couple of hours of going on. Yeah, it was an
0: hour, wasn't it? It's was all gone. Yeah. 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 yeah,
1: they went up. Yeah,
3: so again, this is, um, and we've also made sure many of the clubs have access to the tickets too, the, the football clubs. So this is, in a sense, the official opening of the State Football Centre. I've been there a couple of times, um, and it is a sensational new centre. Um, of course, there's capacity to grow that centre, which we're looking at already, but um brand-new football centre and also a festival for the Matildas. So it really will be an exciting day on Friday.
1: What will be happening there? What is part of that excitement?
3: Uh, there'll be a number of different events, and there'll be um, Eskimo Joe playing as well, and there'll be ability to to see the uh, to see the stadium, and as I um, I think we've announced this, and of course the Matildas will be making the visit as well.
1: Yes, very excited about that. I mean the two thousand. Ticket holders that managed to get them have uh, been flurrying about on social media to try and yeah, yeah, get yeah. tickets from anywhere they can. Mm. If you're not going, you decide to do, not use your allocation, mm. I'll, 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 do t- that. I'll go. <laughs> I'll
0: go. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's, is great. An, it's amazing,
1: isn't it? 100%. Who
0: would have thought that five years ago?
1: Yep. Now, before we let you go, yeah. Minister, Friends of Football, tell us about that. Are uh, the Parliamentary Friends of Football? Yes. Yeah, so I'm um,
3: Ali Kent, the member for who, uh who is former husband or ex husband. um was actually a professional football player Uh, so she uh, was mentioning how there's a lot of um, football supporters in the parliament so we've started a parliamentary friends of football so um, that just means uh, both in particular Football West has an opportunity to talk directly to parliamentarians for example there's two regional members like um, Ali Kent and Rebecca Stevens from um, Albany her daughter plays as well actually and so uh, they're looking at all these types of opportunities in the future, having uh, more teams visit regional WA. I know Perth Glory is very keen to do that to make sure we have continued exposure of different teams around the state. And also, for, as an advocacy arm, that um, there's more than one person or two people advocating for football across government. It's making sure there's a whole team of people. And as I said, you have a very, um, Magenta Marshall, actually, the new member for Rockingham. She's a coach and also she's a player. So there's a lot of people who support the game in in our government and it just gives the, uh, I think, football an avenue to talk to a lot of people about the increasing or extra demands or um, extra opportunities that are out there for the World Game in WA.
1: I think, too, it recognises that there are people in government that can lobby on our behalf, potentially, hopefully, and maybe with an expectation from the football community.
3: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I think look, one of the things about football in WA, as we know, everyone's got to work together, you know, and there's always been differences um, in the past, I think, between different, maybe different clubs, but different sort of a, a groups. But it's about everyone working together because the game is bigger than all of us and um, there's a lot of opportunities. It's a great game and it's now getting the recognition that it probably deserves, that it does deserve, but should have maybe come earlier, but it's getting it
1: now. Minister, keep up the passion. We appreciate you joining us on the Mm, program this morning and hopefully we'll see you at the football festival. Absolutely. (laughs) Good on you. Have a fantastic weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was the Deputy Premier, Rita Safiotti.
0: All positive stuff.
1: Yep. Yep. Said all the right things. Hmm.
0: What's this space? Apparently there's an announcement coming this week.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, hang on. Monumental announcements. Monumental. Um, and there was an S on the end of that. It wasn't just an announcement. Oh, okay, I, oh. I did catch that it was announcements, oh, okay. and it was over the next six months. I think she said mm-hmm. to be exact. There's
0: lots of news coming up. So yeah, yeah interesting.
1: Right. I wrote that down to remind myself. So <laughs> we'll have to get the minister back on again and just see what happens in the next six months. Whether those boxes were ticked. Yeah. Yeah. It will be the little checkbox, this program. Yeah. Yeah, We'll do that.
0: We're keeping track.
1: Look, That that was was good. That's the first time that Minister has joined us on the program Mm. and I did go to the Parliamentary Friends of Football Mm. launch Mm -hmm. and there was stakeholders from across the community and government, various groups were there, Football West were there. So it is good to get an awareness in the community that... In government, we have people that are interested in football and that are prepared to talk about doing things and hopefully do things. I mean, we're, we're at the stage where it's getting talked about, and there's mm. been promises of money being put into women's sports, um, their facilities, and so forth. There was a lot more being put pre World Cup. I, I, I want to see it. I want to see the yeah, actual I think things I think happen. We all do. Right? Yeah. Mm. But, you know, if we keep filling out stadiums like we're just doing here, I mean, HBF being sold out, Optus being sold out. Yeah, I this
0: didn't is, re- didn't realise Optus had sold out. Me either. No, so
1: Flipping heck. This hey. is great. Bring it on. And you know, we, we'll talk through the show as we squeeze in snippets here and there, but the A-League is already underway and it's been having crazy crowds, mm. crazy good crowds. And the memberships tomorrow. have been fantastic. Mm. So, And it might be free memberships with the A-League Liberty Pass, but someone's got to take the kids along. So that means there's people going and spending money. They might buy a membership, they might buy an ice cream, a pie, chips, whatever it is, they go there and they spend money and they put their bums on seats and they show their support.
0: Replica shirts aren't cheap, are they? And It's all money in the coffers.
1: And I am very much looking forward to the A-League men's season starting and how all of this passion in our community relates to Mm. that as well. So bring it on, Perth. Double-headed tomorrow at HBF Stadium. And... Kickoff is two o'clock. Two o'clock
0: for the first game, and then yep. four four forty
1: forty-five, 45 five
0: for the men's game. Yep. Yeah. So
1: if you can handle it,
0: two games. Of course, yep. you can handle it. Then two games in one day is no problem.
1: And get there and watch a whole <laughs> lot of football and mm. you know, do your bit to support football here and. Well, we just want to get numbers there mm. at that stadium. We just want to get as many numbers as we can. Show the new owners that we want to support football, and we want to get memberships happening so that we can put money into the club, and they can buy great players, develop great players, and we can see great football. And then it all just cycles through, and it's just great.
0: Cycles through into Asia with the Asia Cup and things like that, and
1: That's you know, it. which
0: Perth did qualify just as COVID hit. So yeah, which is a bit frustrating, but wouldn't it be good to go away games? Yeah, overseas.
1: Oh my god, yes, and, <laughs> and not uh, include New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, and looking at Stacey want me to say this too. The tour of duty, okay, for the Glory Shed is coming up. Twelfth to the fifteenth of April twenty twenty four in Melbourne. Ah. Ground package cost is four hundred and seventy five bucks. I did put the post on the world football page. I'll repost it again during the show or thereabouts. But uh yeah, just get on to the Glory Shed Supporters Club. And uh, ask about that if you want more information, 12th to the 15th of April, 2024, to Melbourne.
0: Melbourne victory. Melbourne. Uh,
1: Which Melbournes? Actually, I don't know. And I don't have the fixtures in front of me to know (laughs) that. Um, So, not sure. Matt, text me if you're listening. We're going to go to a break and come back and have a chat with Campbell Ballantyne, who is the president of Curtin University Football Club. This is Penn and Jim on the World Football Program. Back shortly.
0: Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM.
1: You're listening to the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle. We are proud to be the longest-running football show on radio in Australia. Join myself, Penny tanner Pete Skeller, Sean Kelly and Hugh Best every Saturday morning in the 10am to noon space. You will hear football conversations with a range of guests and gurus. The show lands as a podcast on our website and you can subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening in to the World Football
4: Programme. Everybody has goals.
2: Whether it's learning a new skill or passing on knowledge, making new friends, is it finding a career
4: path or reaching your full potential?
2: Chase your goals.
1: See where football can take you. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all Gate and Fence Hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and laymen welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 9258 6822 or shop online at gatenfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor.
0: You said you wanted Sam Kerr and the Matildas to come to Perth, Western Australia, and the McGowan government has delivered.
4: For the Matildas to come to Perth, uh, particularly for the first competitive game in its history, it's just an exciting opportunity for the local young female players to look up and aspire to what they might want to be.
0: Australia will play against some of the top teams in Asia. We're playing Chinese Taipei. We'll play against Iran and we'll also play against the Philippines. This is an important competition for the Matildas. It's a, a qualifying campaign. We need to win these matches in order to play in Paris in 2024.
3: I'm looking forward to see the Matildas play in their backyard, especially Sam coming back home, playing in front of her family and friends.
5: We've made this happen actually, we're part of
3: the legacy, part of Sam Kerr, <laughs> we're here.
5: <laughs> this will produce a
0: festival of football, it's very exciting because we'll have overall six games of spectacular international women's football, played across a week-long tournament between the 26th of October and the 1st of November.
1: Welcome back to the World Football Programme, Penn and Jim in the studio and The president of Curtin University Football Club, known to us as Curtin, Campbell Ballantyne joins us. Good morning. Campbell, how are you? I'm
6: good, Tony. How
1: are you? Super awesome. I just had a great conversation with uh, Minister Rita Safiotti. I think he was, I'm so not he, sure.
6: I, I'm not sure I can live up to that standard. But <laughs> uh, <I'll
1: follow> back. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough gig to follow, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Campbell. <laughs> it's all right. I didn't listen. <laughs> you can listen to the podcast later. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, it's, you don't often get a minister on the program, so it's all all good to hear what the what the guff is, so to speak, and then do a check in another six months and see you know how that that followed up. But, you know, it's it's good to know that we have friends in high places so that we can ensure that, you know, whatever we're thinking about football and what mm-hmm. it needs is communicated upwards. It's got to get there. Indeed, her
6: boys, used, her boys used to play for Curtin as
1: well. There you go. Mm.
0: Nice. She didn't mention which teams the kids were playing for. I no. noticed that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. You've got, got to have a bit of, uh, you know, a private life and yeah, confidentiality so. about things. <laughs> yeah.
6: yeah, They used to. They don't anymore. They
1: don't anymore. So what's happening at... Curtin University over the summer. Campbell?
6: Uh, are you asking me about the hockey rebuild or are you asking nope. me about what we're doing over the summer? I'm
1: just generally asking what happens to the Curtin Football Club over the summer period.
6: So I suppose the summer period's kind of big news this year. I mean, today, uh, Tiana, one of our WNPL players from last year, is running all of our girls' try- trials for 2024. Mm-hmm. So that's happening uh, this weekend. We also run a, um, an 11-a-side summer league. I think we're the only 11-a-side league that runs on Tuesday and Wednesday night. So we're it's, we're pretty stoked this year to have launched women's. Um, the girls in our Metro teams really got behind it and came up with two teams themselves. So we've got a, a five-team women's competition. We've got five men's teams and six over 45 teams that play Tuesday Wednesday night, wow.
1: 11 aside and Wednesday
6: nights. Wow. 11-a-side and doing
1: well. Yeah, couple a couple of
6: vacancies if anyone wants it. There's, one, there's a buy in the men's comp and a buy in the women's comp. So.
1: How do they contact? Um, Who do they contact?
6: That's just on our website. Okay. Um, it's pretty easy. Seen as like, contact me realistically. I'm pretty easy to track down.
1: Is there anyone, anyone else that is really on the committee at Curtin? Because like every time someone <laughs> says Curtin, it's Campbell.
6: Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's an ongoing committee usually of about 14 people. Um but yeah we've got we've got plenty of other people on our committee. Good. So plenty of other people on our committee Re- represent we we run in a structure that represents each division of the club, so we've got a representative a representative from thirteens to sixteens for mini ruse, uh for women's metro, for uh, WNPL for men's state league for men's metros. We've got one rep for each area.
1: Nice. So well, I hear a crow in the background. Nice work, little. Sorry, I'll
6: clear, I'll close my window. No, no, it's, it's totally oh, fine. Like it. It's,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, part of the atmosphere you get with football. So um, let's talk about the the hockey thing. It's the epicenter yeah. of Australia, with the hockey headquarters right next door, and they're building a new stadium. How's that going to affect the Curtin Football Club?
6: And he, like I told you, when I saw you on Wednesday night, you telling me it was the first I heard of it. <laughs> um, I don't think it's going to have any impact on us at all. Um, that hockey stadium runs on... It's not—it's it, it, long-term leased land from the university. It just happens to be on campus. Um, the university sports department doesn't have very much to do with hockey whatsoever. Um, hockey Australia appears to run just about all of it. Um, and it's, it just happens to be on the same... On, on very close land. Um, the idea that football could ever get on there is just completely foreign. Okay, so... Um, so it would, never, it would never happen. Slightly smaller field, and it's booked out.
1: Yep, yep, I, I get that. And the grass base that Curtin Football Club occupies, is that totally dedicated to you 24-7, 12 months of the year?
6: Um, no, we, there are four clubs that I would say share, but wrestle's probably more of an accurate term. <laughs> um, there's ourselves, Curtin Rugby Club, uh, Ultimate Frisbee and Gridiron. So Gridiron run a, a summer comp. They're a summer league. Us and rugby share it uh, throughout winter. Uh, we're significantly larger than them. I think they've got three senior teams, three or four. Uh, we usually have 15 or 16. Um, so we we push it pretty hard. Um, but it's, it's look, it's a, it's an excellent training facility. I think it's one of the best uh, training facilities in the state. 100 black flights, three pitches, eight portable goals. Um, it's not everything when it comes to being a match day facility, but it's very popular for training. So we've got to stagger training times and do all sorts of things to get everyone on there.
0: So Campbell, we've just had the minister talk about how they're looking to fund uh, pitches to get pitch qualities uh, a lot better than what they are. You've got all those sports that are quite heavy impact sports on the ground. How does that affect the playing surface when you play?
6: (laughs) Uh, I spend a lot of time telling our members that it's not rugby that destroys the surface. of dust. Oh, really? Rugby played, I think, f- 15 home games a year. Last year, we played 196. Oh. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> um, it's, the numbers are just off the scale. Um, and it it doesn't matter. When you've got inner city and you put 100 likes of flights on good grass, and I, when I say inner city, I'm talking 20Ks for the CBD with reasonable population density. That is going to get used as often as they will allow you to book it. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, grass maintenance. It wouldn't matter if, we're, if we had four more pitches, we would still use it as much as they were like to book it. It would just expand quickly.
1: How is the um, quality of the grass at the end of the season compared to the beginning?
6: Uh, not great. Not great at all, to be honest. It depends on a number of factors. It depends on how many washouts you're going kind to of get. Um, if you get that sort of really wet weekends and games played, games played on pitches that are almost when it should have been called off, that really cuts it up. Mm. Um it's a bit of a. It is a tough one. It's a, it's such a balance between being able to rest the fields in the middle of the season. Um, but anything the minister can do to get more grass under light, the better. Um, there's loads. I know there's loads going on in the area, and getting more floodlights is a good idea. Getting more change rooms is a good idea. Um, turning those. I think the. I think this thing that the football community sometimes struggles with convincing government is is turning those outdoor floodlit recreation spaces into football mm. infrastructure. I know I have discussions with the university and they say, Oh we want to make it multi sport and I, I just say why? We can fill it. You can we can we can fill it to absolute capacity fifty weeks of the year um with the amount that the grass can handle playing football only on it like why why don't we just have a different spot for rugby and a different spot for football and a different spot for fl um it doesn't seem to get that doesn't quite seem to get through to governments in my opinion
1: well we did touch on that with the minister about i'm not quite sure the correct word but merging or multiple clubs using the same space and you said you've got a ground share with the, the four different sports there <clears throat> yeah. that it is the way forward really and, and Jim threw in with the the hybrid grounds mm. that are in use over in yeah. England or UK and we have, well I think we've got two here uh, no three, we've got Ellenbrook, Perth and Mum FC, they're the only three I can yeah. think of here in Perth, but we've got I don't know how many grounds are used for football here in Perth now you know, thousands
6: the, the, you know, There's another um, Astro one out in um, Oh Mills tall.
1: Park yeah, so there is. No part,
6: yeah. And no one uses
1: it? Yes, yes they do. Yes, is, they do. Is, um, we'll,
6: is there a club there?
1: Uh, no, I think they do five or six aside there. And I think the right. Christian football uses it as well. Okay.
6: Yeah. Right. Yeah, but so it's... The hybrid is different from Astro. Yeah,
0: definitely.
6: Yeah. Yeah, the temperature,
5: definitely.
0: Yeah, Astro's full plastic, isn't it? And yeah. Hybrid yeah. is yeah. the
6: mixture. And I thought of Alan Brooke yeah. and Mum were both Astro rather Astros, than hybrid.
1: Yeah. Yes, Correct. They are. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
6: uh, I played. I played on Allenbrook once, and I didn't. I didn't enjoy it. Well, I enjoyed the game. I didn't enjoy the next four days of struggling to walk.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's no giving those pitches. that's the problem. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have to tra- train on it and get used to it. Your body mm. definitely has to accommodate.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. yeah, and the other thing was the heat factor too. I, I think we've got to consider that when we build. Uh, hybrid or artificial surfaces here in Perth, is that we do have generally a temperate climate, but in summer we can hit the 40s. So if you're talking about summer football and especially kids, you've got to look after them. They can't be out in the heat because it adds another 5 to 10 degrees, depending on what the surface is. Um, And they need shade, they need water... So they'll need a cover on the side of the pitch, or they'll need a cover over the pitch in some in some way, which means that not only do you have to build this amazing facility so you can use it 24/7, you've got to have cover over it so you've got shade to be able to use it in the extremes of our summer, and that costs money too. Uh,
6: and apart from what Pearce put in, as as far as I know, Pearce Soccer Club privately owns what they did uh, at the back, which used to be their car park. Yep. Yeah. I don't know of any of those Astro fibre side pitches that. You see all over the world, in little communities, we have basketball courts and tennis courts and things like that popping up. We never see any of those astro football pitches, and I think if they did and they got snuck in little corners of parks by councils, they would be immensely popular. Just open play. Um, I'm not sure how they would factor in for clubs, but I think they'd be immensely popular with the community.
1: Yes, and it could handle it then too, couldn't it? I mean. Uh, I know at Mum FC, for example, it's supposedly private, but there's a fence that's only half-height. You can jump mm. and the community go and use it. And, and that's great, isn't it? We, we really want as many people kicking a soccer ball around as possible. It just does impact on the maintenance of it. The more people that are on it, then the compaction uh, yeah. factor adds, uh, reduces the, the timeline and adds to the maintenance of it.
6: Yeah, I think we need to get a balance right between community facilities, which are probably... All- often funded by government and first and foremost for getting the everyday person extra physical activity and what is a club football facility that is going to be spectator-friendly, is going to be good for pushing a a higher standard of competitive football and and such things. Yes. Um, I think they're different. I think club facilities are, are different from community facilities.
1: Well... And I think that... I think you can probably balance that if you've got the resources, yeah. the finances. You can, but, yeah, I mean, most clubs would have more than one football pitch. I, I can't yep. think of many clubs that just have one football pitch unless they're growing and they've assumed a public space for the first time mm-hmm. and or have yep. assumed another sporting area that's grown. Um, then they have multiple spaces. Um, I'm just trying to think of a club that's got a dedicated elite ground and then it's got community grounds you know, there's quite a few around Perth mm. um, you would want to protect the one that's for elite football where you're going to have your academies on it your NPLs on it your programs on it and you want to protect that for the best possible quality and then you've got community football where it might be public open space it might be where your your master's football plays might be where the women's amateur plays and so forth so you've got different options and that's you know we've mm. got to protect both of them in different ways
6: I think the clubs could do a lot better by sharing match day elite facilities. I think those facilities could, shit. if they never had training on them for game, and then they, games wise, they could have three, four, first team games a weekend on them, and we would probably only need six or seven of them throughout, evenly distributed throughout Perth, mm. rather than rather than eighty percent of them being in the uh, uh, older, you know, northern suburbs.
1: I think this is something the State Football Centre will learn to manage because we've got this epicentre of football happening where we've, you know, the last couple of months, it got unofficially opened and then we had international teams training there. We've had the Paranationals there. We've had uh, state games there. We've had, um, well, the Matildas would be going there and training there. There's that, that kind of thing is happening. And then what in the 11-a-side normal season there won't be many things happening because the clubs will be playing their own football there until finals time again. So where's the balance oh, yeah. there? There's an amazing facility that cost a bomb to happen, but you'll need something to be happening there hmm. to actually use the facility.
6: I, I assume NTC will play home games,
1: though. NTC, yeah, I assume mm. too. I would have
6: thought yeah. so. You would have thought so, wouldn't you? Yeah. I would, I would yeah. have thought so. Yeah. We, uh, in our uh, licensing documentation, we asked the question, being obviously one of the closest clubs, we could use it.
1: We as in curtain. Yeah. You, you would use the State Football Centre?
6: Well, we asked okay. in our licensing uh, process. We asked if it was available for use. It's the closest, closest facility that uh, 100% meets the requirements to our ground.
1: Okay. Uh, do do you mean when you were in the NPL?
6: Yeah. Well, when we went through the licensing process for the NPL.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Mm. That would have been yeah, interesting. Right.
6: I, I think we didn't that, really get, we didn't really get an answer our answer was it's run by venues West
1: yeah I think they would have had to have say no to that because I can't imagine it having an allegiance to a club then That's that would open reason. to uh, other uh, clubs also wanting to vie for that space
6: perhaps but hmm. um, it was it was in, it was an interesting journey because I, I can't remember who it was I think it might have been Hannah Beasley who rang as when she was running for the the member of Swan. Who rang me to say, "Oh, amazing! We're putting our support between, behind this great facility in your electric. It will be great for the club." Uh, to which I asked the question, "Will it? Will we ever get to use it?" Um, but, so,
1: but you mean as community, don't you? The we part in that conversation.
6: Well, I mean the 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 well, I meant we. are the the local residents of. She was representing the the people of Swan. She was representing the people who live close to our football club and such things. Mm. Um. I don't have a problem with clubs playing there at all. I don't, as long as there's a, uh, a fair commercial agreement and it's available to whoever chooses to put in a booking, I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. Mm,
5: yeah, I do.
6: Um, I think if it, if it means more use, then that's good. Um, I think because of uh, its existence, it would be hard to get another facility of similar standard built near it, I think. I think governments would turn around and go, why Why do we need two
0: within five kilometres of each other? Yeah, or why do we need two if that one's not being used to its full capacity?
6: 100%. So it in capacity, I don't understand.
1: I believe in in the different stages of developing the State Football Centre. It's to use more of the ground, exactly in the block where they are, but also across the road, potentially, there's space to build accommodation. So that was in part of the later stages.
0: Mm. I I just think you might have this... Wonderful facility, and you drive past on a Saturday and Sunday, and it's nothing's happening. When yeah. should, should like, something be happening to show that it's being used rather than just for cup finals and one off games? Uh,
6: yeah, it's a, it's probably the best spectator facility for watching football in WA right now. Um, I mean, that would used to probably be a, a debate outside of, I'm talking for crowds of less than, say, 4,000 people. It used to be a debate between probably Inglewood, During Gardens, etc. cetera. Um, I think the fact that it's a, a purpose-built football stadium without uh, supports, without obstructions for view, I think it was excellent when hmm. we went there. Yep. So if, if that's not getting used to watch football, then what's it kind of there for?
1: Yep. And um, I suppose you could have the argument that if, for example, Curtin applied during their licensing, to use that facility, then it would I would have thought that Football West might have considered, or Venues West, whomever's managing it, would have considered it if at some point you're building your own facility and that's where you'll revert to. So that that yeah. gives Football West the time to build up what programs and competitions are going to be
6: community-minded
1: sure. to use and, that space.
6: And the only thing What's that current was missing from... The facilities part of the licensing criteria was a fence around the field of play, Mm. which wasn't that big. That's not that big a deal to fix. Um, So it was, yeah. Let's
1: talk about. Let's talk about NPL curtain and moving down into the tier below for the following year. Mm -hmm. as the promotion and relegation has kicked in? What does that mean for the club?
6: It's not promotion and relegation. I think the suggestion that UWA were promoted is, is false. Um, well, that is strangely,
1: that is correct it, because the two clubs immediately below did not want to come up.
6: Not, they didn't want to come uh, up, and if, um, if UWA had finished second, they would have had to play us, um, which would have been... But because they finished third, they didn't. Um, our girls, I think, were pretty disappointed about that. So it's not promotion and relegation. It's, uh, it's almost a licence and change and a filling of a vacancy. Mm, yep. Um uh, what does it mean for the club? Look, I don't think it's... I don't think it's a, a dagger blow in any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think that it was... It, WNPL needs promotion and relegation. And mm. It needs it to work properly. It needs the entire Division One to want it. Mm. And I think that there's got to be some recognition in the, of the in women's football in WA is across all the clubs, pretty short of that. Um, I mean, I've said pretty publicly that we've realistically got five competitive top-level women's clubs and we need to get that to 15 or 20. Yep. Um, We just need to find a way to do that. Whether that means finding ways to make sure all the best players aren't in in the same clubs. Um, I don't think getting that to 15 or 20 is a a three-year plan. I think it's probably 10. But I think we need to put something in place that, that gets to that standard, um, and we're we're a long, long way off it. What well, playing state league division one means for Curtin, um, I think I think we'll be fine. I think we would be a a fair chance to win it, um, even if we kept the team that we kept last year. I know our girls were really keen to play at the AFC or UWA. Um, obviously, a very, very tough season against good opposition. Um, but everybody says the, f- the step is huge. Um, they had some competitive results. Um, because some competitive losses in the MPL, mm.
5: some,
6: some ones that were one, two, and three goals. Um, if you look at the women's cup competition over, over, I think the past five years, there's barely been a div- division one side got within five goals of an MPL side ever. And most of them are, when they draw each other, most of them are forfeits because they don't want to play.
0: Mm. So, how difficult was it to keep those girls motivated, though, towards the end of the season?
6: Uh, look, I think... And, and purely Harry,
0: because I've been Harry in... The- and
6: the girl, Harry and the girls have done a fantastic job. Yeah. I can't comment on how difficult it was, because I probably wasn't close enough to how they did it. Right. Yeah. However, I I was at the MPL Awards night on Wednesday night, and met one of the players for the first time. I'd seen her, I didn't know her name, and uh, I probably would have recognised her if she'd been wearing her football kit rather than her <laughs> <Yeah>. cocktail dress. <laughs> um, <laughs> her significant, uh, significant change. Um, and she just she was the first one there before her teammates, and she just said, I've had so much fun this you. That's good. So the fact that the playing group have had fun and wanted to stick together and wanted to play, um, I think is testament to them. I don't think many groups would have stayed together under the circumstances. No. Um, and if they stick together again for next year and bring in a couple of ins, then I think there would be a, a real threat in, in Division One. Um,
1: is the I plan is the plan to re, regather and look at NPL again, and then you'd still have to meet the criteria, yeah. which is the, the reason why you're not in NPL this year because the criteria mm-hmm. couldn't be met. I understand.
6: So the NPL licensing criteria is in year one of enforcement. Last year was run as a as a draft. Um there is a, a first instance group run by Football West on behalf of Football Australia to determine if those clubs got licenses. And as Football West released publicly, Curtin Perth AFC and Gene Bluff United applied but were not granted licenses. In discussions I had following that a part of that license process that wasn't documented was a decision by that first-instance body for anything that was lacking on the chance of it being fixed in time. So Football West made the determination that some clubs were going to be able to fix some things and other clubs were not, um, which is an interesting way of running it. We uh, we weren't about to pay $10,000 to fight it. It was, I think that's it a ridiculous charge, a ridiculous man. I spoke to some guys at Love United. They said they were going to. Um, I don't really have a problem with the fact that the reason that... The, the only thing that we've missed out on was juniors. To be fair, was yes. we were requiring of three junior teams. Um, we presented to Football West that, through the course of running programs in 2023, I think we had registered 24 girls that were eligible for juniors... In 2024, and they determined that wasn't enough to get ourselves from 24 players to the three teams. Mm. So, well, we we knew we didn't have juniors, so we set up, up an in-house program for seven to 12 year old girls, where they could come and play on a Saturday morning and play little in-house games and have really low barriers to entry and such. Let them register for free, things like this, um, so that we would have a, a base of players to, to go into next season um, engaged the services of a, of a hard-working coach who then went and got five assistant coaches and we presented that and that was deemed to be not likely enough to to run three girls junior teams in 2024 uh, we'll find out I suppose in the next three months if it was or it wasn't uh, we respect football last decision I mean it was it is what it was we also I think it would have been good if Hammersley had taken their spot. Mm. Um, I don't know if they bothered applying for license. The licence documentation is probably 60 to 100 hours of labour to do it. I know,
1: it's being intensive. through that. Yeah, it's, hard
6: mm-hmm. it's hard work. It's hard work. With a fear of not knowing if it will work, um, I am of the opinion that regardless of what we wrote on that piece of paper. Football would choose not to believe that we could get enough juniors in in 2024.
1: You'll have to try and prove them wrong. Campbell, we're going to have to finish this conversation, young man. That's right. um, Thank you for being available and talking us through what's happening. Uh, at your club, and uh, just wanted to wrap it with uh, you are a, a dad now. Congratulations. Thank you. So there's uh, a lot of demands on your time different to football. How's that going to factor in moving forward for Curtin Football Club and for Campbell Ballantyne?
6: Well, I, I, I told our committee on Monday night that I, I wasn't planning on running to be the president next year. Um, at the next AGM. I told you on Wednesday night when I saw you. Yep. I'm trying um, to share,
1: there's, share there's, there's,
6: the word there the <laughs> There's a, There's a... Um, well, once I told you, I realised that you were interviewing me on Saturday. So I thought about <laughs> a, state, a statement on the club website. So that went out yesterday. Um, but, but I'm... I'm going to support whoever takes over. I'm going to play for Curtin. Uh, I'll still be around. I may... I may take on a project that I would be running the operational stuff, the... The squatty logins, the pitch bookings the the conflicts, the little arguments between coaches and players. I'm I'm ready to 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 put those things down and just a minor you know, role in. You are
1: just the man <laughs> at seven foot eight or whatever the heck it is.
6: <laughs> just put out a few fires, um, um, but it, it, it's got hard. It's not draining. Look, uh, anyone who dealt with who dealt with football over over the last three or four years, it has been times, It's been hard work. It's um, this year was, was probably harder and energy sapping and and Heather is, is time-consuming. And you know what? i probably pop my head back up when it's ready to run under fours, under fives, girls football. And, okay. What position yeah. do you play, in, Campbell?
1: In, I, I envision I, I play, goalkeeper.
6: I play centre-forward.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, that's central defender.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I play, I play centre-forward. Anyone who's played football with me knows that... Uh, uh, preventing goals and defending and tackling are really
1: just not for me. <laughs> okay, wow. I would be, I don't know, my fingers would be in my mouth as a defender with a centre forward of your stature yeah. against me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, Campbell, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Have a fantastic weekend. I hope you have five minutes to yourself in, in amongst the football and and uh, being a dad just to go, whew, this is yeah. me.
0: Enjoy. <laughs> the Good first job. 21 thank years of worse. Thank
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, Campbell. Cheers. So, See you. That was Campbell Ballantyne, who's the president of Curtin Football Club for another few weeks yeah. until they find a new president. Or so. they don't, because he actually said, I'm not going to running again." He didn't say, I'm not going to be... Pe-. He didn't actually say that, quote-unquote. You know? So if they don't find anyone or they like him as president, it means that they could say, Campbell, we don't have one. Yeah, it, carry yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the name of an English programme, Carry On, isn't it?
0: It's the Carry On film. That's it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Carry On Campbell. That's it.
1: it. We're going to go to a break and come back and chat more football. Our guest next up is Michaela Lyons from Fremantle City. Stay with us. This is Penn and Jim.
0: Radio Radio Fremantle, Fremantle, 107.9 FM.
2: Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. Not
4: too long to go now. We aren't just the people who mow your lawn. We aren't just the people who paint your houses. We aren't just office workers. Or taxi drivers. Or even the family next door. Underneath it all, we are fans. No matter when, no matter where, we'll be there. to let your inner fan out. No guts, no
1: glory. Welcome back to the World Football Program. That little ear yeah, <laughs> always gets me have a bit of a smile. This is the World Football Program with Penn and Jim, 107.9 FM on Radio Fremantle Community Radio. Our next guest is Michaela Lyons of Fremantle City NPL squad. Good morning, Michaela good morning guys how are we super awesome actually jet lagged (laughs) (laughs) we've had a good lineup of guests you've got a big big boots to fill there Michaela in this conversation first time on the radio (laughs) tell us the Michaela Lyons story you've not been on the radio show before give us a little bit bit of a backstory of Michaela I
3: have not yeah um well, or uh, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> um, came, <laughs> came through the NTC pathway. I'm guessing we're talking football.
0: Absolutely.
3: Came through the NTC pathway. Well, I started off at East Fremantle actually uh, quite late, probably 12, 13, I think, when I first started playing football. Um, yeah, went through the NTC pathway and then came out and has been in the NPL um, ever since. I think I've been at Frio for about, what well, would have been five or six seasons now um, and still there, albeit. Not playing very well at it <laughs> uh, anymore, so I play about 15 minutes now um, most games. I'm just not here um, that often, but still enjoying it, still at Frio, love the club, um, and that's kind of the, my pathway in football so far in WA.
1: Is that because you have so many other strings in the bow that it takes you away from playing football?
3: Yeah, I just. Just the training and even the t- I'm away quite a bit um, travelling. So I've worked with the Junior Matildas um, as their sports scientist. Um, I am still doing my PhD. I've got about a year um, left on that. Um, so that's just here at Notre Dame. And then um, also working for AFLW, so Fremantle Dockers, um, as a strength and conditioning coach. So there's a bit going on, um, a lot of travel and just missed quite a few games and then obviously can't train um, as much as I used to. So um, it's kind of in the boat a little bit at the moment, just with work.
1: So, just for those aspiring young females out there who might be listening to this and thinking this articulate young lady has just told me all the things I want to do in my life, <laughs> yeah. do those things balance in a financial way that put bread and butter on your table, or do you have a job that's non-football that does that? No,
3: yeah, definitely in football. So, pretty much all of my work now is is football based. Um, two types of football, so. Um, Junior Matildas is obviously the real football and then um, work for <laughs> Dockers in, in uh, AFL as well um, but I absolutely love it and I think that was um, kind of my dream was to work in sport um, and make a living out of it so hopefully when I finish my PhD I can go into you know more more full time um, football which would be awesome but at the moment it's it's exactly where I want to be and what I want to do
1: Yeah, that's great. It sounds very much like uh, Anna Dong's journey she determined mm. that she's a Perth girl, that she wanted to work in football, was encyclopedic I remember as a 16 year old, she was encyclopedic about everything sport, but football was a passion for her and look where she is now, media manager for, I don't know if it's the Football Australia or it must be Matildas, media, media manager for the Matildas and we all think of Anna Dong when we think of the Matildas surely we do, I mean she's yeah, yeah you incredible. Know, the, the amazing you know, African lady that is always there and when she doesn't want to be in, in a crowd, she's photographing something on the side of a pitch. If you mm. can't find her, she's on the side of a pitch photographing something. She's amazing. Exactly.
3: Funny story, actually. We were just in Vietnam and she um, was having some time off from Football Australia on a holiday and she actually came into the Junior Matilda's camp and did all of our media because <laughs> she loves it so much um, and was sitting on the sideline taking photos and um, just being around the squad. So she's a, yeah incredible human and she's doing some awesome things.
1: Absolutely, and speaking of awesome things, you're very articulate, which I love on mm. radio, of course. You can come back anytime.
0: It's one for the <laughs> studio, <laughs> Pet.
1: Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, the Game Changers exhibition at the State Library during the Women's World Cup, you were featured in that.
3: Yes, yeah, that was awesome. Mm. That was uh, probably the first time that I've seen something um, like that, like an exhibit just for you know women's football, which was... Um, Almost like a, you didn't realise that it was going to be that emotional, I think. I think with everyone there on the night, um, it was just incredible to see. It was obviously set up so well. Um, and the passion and dedication that went into that from everyone involved was just incredible. Even the panel event. Um, so I was really lucky to be involved with that.
1: The panel event was incredible. It uh, brought out a lot of things to the, the public space, um, which had maybe been fostering for a while. Um, you know, change rooms and how that affects registrations and the way people look at the sport. There's a lot of things in that. I think that should be done more often. Um, But we were having a chat to the Minister, Rita Safiotti, earlier and she was very articulate too and she's in government and they've got the Parliamentary Friends of Football now, which we kind of hope will maybe give some Mm -hmm. conversation pathway through to, I don't know, bigger platforms, football. and Having the Matildas here and filling out stadiums also helps as well. So we're doing ourselves lots of favours post-World Cup.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, I did want to say that until you were in the Game Changers event, there might have been a few people that didn't know who Michaela Lyons was. But having your face plastered over a great big banner (laughs) out front of a public facility really got you out there. (laughs) My rude head on a on a big yeah, four <laughs> <laughs> people. No, it's good. There's quite a lot of people that went through there during the World Cup space. Mm. Um, you know, tourists who came were able to publicly access, um, you know, all the different personalities that were there in the history of football and, and so forth, and you know, volunteered for the World Cup or just came for the games, and they stayed around Perth and doing the touristy thing, going here and there and seeing all the the spots around Perth, and then off they went and. You know, carried your your face on, on their photos around the world pretty cool
3: yeah yeah no it was awesome I think that the way that that was done was just um, amazing and I really like the fact that they had so much variation in the people that they um, yes. were promoting mm-hmm. it was you know you had your players and you had just your pretty much every stakeholder um, within football so to be included in that I was obviously super grateful um, sometimes you know the research side or sports science and SNC kind of don't get forgotten, but it's definitely on the the back burner um, when it comes to promoting women's sport. So I think it was really um, important as well for other people to see that there are so many different roles within football. Um, you know, whether that be media or um, any other facet. Um, I think it's even for young girls to see that they don't have to just be a player. You know, they can stay in football for the rest of their lives if they want to. That um, there's different paths that they can take and different facets that they can kind of go into, move into.
1: Yes, I think. I saw that, and at, at first, when the Centre for Stories was profiling different players uh, sorry, I should say different players, different uh, faces within women's football, it was like, hmm, I wonder why those ones and other people were asking the questions. I wonder why those people were featured. But I think mm. that it came from, well, we we're talking about women's football, weren't there all women's footballers there? And it wasn't about that, it was about what women's football brings to the table. And like yourself, yeah, yep. your your pathway isn't necessarily playing pure football anymore. It might be. I want to be the number one sports scientist for the Matildas. Mm. Is that what yeah, you, is yeah. that what you want to do? By the way, <laughs> maybe one day we'll see. <laughs> yeah, you're happy with the pathway at the moment taking taking you along to the places you want to get to.
3: Yeah, look. To be honest with you, I've had a um, pr- pretty recent realization that I really enjoy the youth development side of things. Um, and long-term athlete development. So working with the under-17s, um, so the juniors, as I am now, um, that to me is the ultimate at the moment. Like That's what I'm really passionate about and um, what I really enjoy. So I do like working in senior you know, women's sports and working with the AFLW girls as well. It's completely different um, and it's great. But I just find that at the moment and where I'm at, I'm probably more passionate about the youth development side of things.
1: So you're still studying, aren't you?
3: I am, yes. Very slowly, don't tell my supervisors. I haven't touched my PhD in at least three weeks,
1: I reckon. Do do you know what? I've heard that a lot, that the studying part comes slowly when people actually find some job opportunities along the way that is their dream Mm -hmm. and they can have the flexibility to do both, like you're doing, it sounds like.
3: Yeah, yeah. Look, I've been really lucky with my PhD supervisors. Um, Some other people that I know are probably not as lucky. Um, and they've been really, really supportive of working in the industry and they know the importance of actually you know, being out there and being practical with some of the things that I'm researching as well. I think it goes hand in hand. Like That supports my research and vice versa. Um, some of the findings that we have found um, support also the practical side. So I think it definitely delays, obviously, the completion of the PhD, which uh, is okay, but it'd be nice to tick that off one day. Um, But I think working in the industry and being a part of, you know, Football Australia is definitely where I wanted to be. And so giving that up to, you know, kick a box and finish the PhD didn't seem um, like the best way forward. Um, But, yeah, as I said, I've been really lucky with my supervisors. But they've been supportive of that.
1: So just speaking about NPL, the awards occurred during the week. And uh, a big congratulations to Laura Waltman, who had a bit of a different role this year with Mm. Fremantle. Uh, a lot more freedom helped her rekindle a bit of passion for the game i hope that passion will continue Mm -hmm. into playing again next year because she was on the verge of not Mm. sure what she wanted to do
3: yes yes very true she um we're super super proud of laura i think she's deserved it for a couple of years now she's just a rock in in the midfield um for us and she has played she's such a versatile player um you know she was probably the best center back in the league for a couple of years there and then she moved forward and she was one of the best forwards. <laughs> she moved into the midfield this year and absolutely chopped it up. So, and just a great human, like always, you know, pushing forwards and um, a really, really good leader for us as well um, within the squad. So we're all stoked for her, and uh, I think it was well deserved this season for sure.
0: And it, and it wasn't just a close vote, was it? I mean, I've just read it now seven clear of the next person. Yep. So that just proves how dominant and how respected she must have been this season in playing. Yep. So yeah, congratulations. Yeah, absolutely. yeah.
3: yeah every game like if she was playing with us you're like okay we got that sorted um, I think just her leadership as well within first of all she's very scary as soon as she gets the ball
5: you don't <laughs> want to be anywhere near her.
3: Um, she has this weird ability to like almost tr- just go through people I don't know how she gets through but somehow she does um, you can hardly see the ball moving but she somehow comes out the other side and everyone's like okay that's Laura done it again um, but just incredible to uh, you know work alongside and play with her. And as I said, her leadership in the midfield as well has um, really helped us out um, the past couple of seasons. So I hope, I really hope that she has found her passion and continues um, with it. I think she's got another couple of seasons left in her.
1: Just for our listeners, we're talking about the women's gold medal. Mm. And I didn't see the award, but I think it's a very nice watch. Do you know, Michaela?
3: I think it is, too. From seeing a yeah. photo, it looked like a Tisset um, watch that they got. I think the men and the women, um, the yeah. awards were, yeah, something like
1: that. My daughter went to the award night. She was just turned 17. She wanted to get dressed up and go and see what all the awards are all about. What fuss
0: is about. Yeah.
1: And yeah. Uh, when she saw um, Chokdal who's the Perth Red Star um, player that won the men's gold medal up there alongside Laura. And we know Laura because Laura played at uh, Melville a few years back with her sister. Um, She's like, that's so cool. What is in those boxes? And I'm pretty sure that's a watch. And she said, why are the boxes different sizes? Like thinking of (laughs) equality. And I said, because a women's watch is built differently
5: Mm.
1: to a men's watch. She said, that's that's good something like I hope it's not because there's an inequality there and the guy's gonna get, you know, more than what the that's females are. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I think I think it's a good idea rather than a trophy that after a couple of years goes in a cupboard somewhere and
1: <laughs> uh well it used to be a car, car for and then here. I think it was ten thousand mm. um, dollars. Yeah, so. yeah, something like that. Yeah, and I remember when pre pre COVID uh when Kat Yukic wanted to I think it was a few years on the trot and mm. it was a big bank check, and mm-hmm. the I think the guys got the car, and they got the Bank West yeah. bank account, at five yeah. or ten thousand dollars. And there was a bit of a differential. And I remember seeing the car and the the guy getting the car, and all the champagne and everything exploding on the stage, and thinking, why are they getting a car? I'm sure, that's worth more than five or ten thousand dollars. <laughs> but they
0: only get the car for a year? No, I don't think so. Yeah, then. I think that's what it was. They they got given the car for a year. What are you talking? Like, yeah, I think it was gonna... on loan. I think they got a car and like... Jim,
1: get out of here. No,
0: seriously, that's what I was told. And I was also told that one year the guy that won it couldn't drive. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't. I'm, I'm going to ignore. Someone's you, probably right? pulling my leg
0: there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think
1: so. Yeah. I reckon we. I
3: reckon we got to fact check that. That sounds odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Michaela.
0: <laughs> Just odd. Stop picking on me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so while we've got you, we'll talk about the other awards on the NPL uh, Awards Night. So Laura Watman, Fremantle City Women's Gold Medal Award. Then we had the Women's Coach of the Year Award. Which was Carlos Vega Mena, Perth Red, Red Star. Star um and women's coach of the fay chambers Fremantle city so Fremantle have uh, got a little bit of a stash mm. in the awards happening there
0: must be something in the water
1: mm. <laughs> and female young player of the year award was clara Haral from mum fc and clara's just been signed with perth glory oh. so i'm yeah really stoked about that I, I coached clara when she was 10 or 11 or i don't know somewhere around that age mm. and she's been pretty loyal to Mum FC, played in the NPL squad. She's only teenage, so she's doing very well. So upward journey there. Uh, women's Goalkeeper of the Year, Rebecca Bennett from Perth Soccer Club. I think that's her second year she's won that on the trot. And Women's Golden Boot was Tia Stoney on that's the second year that Tia's won it after a year break with a back injury last year. Mm. So Balcata Etna this year, but Murdoch University two years back. Um, And women's goal of the season was Grace Johnson from the Hyundai NTC. The Fair Play Award was Subiaku. Does that cover all the awards?
0: Uh, Uh, Yeah. Under-21
1: Player of the Year. Here we go. Balcata Etna's Daris Gadar Tamru. I'm not quite sure I've said that correctly, but apology if if I have not. And the Under-21 Golden Boot, same player. Female Referee of the Year Golden Whistle Award was Jasmine Bremner. And Football West Life members were recognised. Nick Tarner, we know Nick Tarner from Perth Glory, early days, owner. And Eddie Lenny, respected referee. And Phil Kelly from Ashfield Sports Club. A real different group there of Football West Life members who were awarded Life membership this year.
0: I've just seen the goal from the goal of the season. Yeah. 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 It's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, yeah. And look, and this (laughs) is the live streaming, Michaela, that if you don't get to the game and you say you're picking up 15 minutes here and there, you can just pick up, like, YouTube and the live streaming services and you can catch all the games. I love that. And if it means we don't get to games, like we don't actually get our bums to games, okay, we'll we'll work on that in Mm. whatever way. But um, the fact that you can just be at home with your family, you can watch games on the television screens, and people have pretty big television screens these days, so it's like an amphitheatre of dreams, really.
3: Pretty cool. Mm. <laughs> Amphitheatre of dreams. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, I think that it's definitely been a game changer. The uh, the streamer. I think they've had a couple of issues with it, but um, like overall, just having the ability to even send it to family, you know, overseas or over east, if mm. they want to watch. I know a couple of um, the girls in our squad have their family over east, and being able to have them log in and watch them, I think, is really important.
1: Probably for the journey of some young aspiring footballers too, to be able to capture that vision, put it into a little portfolio. A L- little
0: montage. And send it mm. off
1: somewhere is um, Yeah, yeah. Well, it opens, opens
0: the world, doesn't it, now yep. to, yeah so.
1: Yep, absolutely. Michaela, it's been fantastic having a chat to you. Um, I'm loving the journey that you're going on. I, mm. I'm, I'm watching it and um, I suspect that at some point, besides that big poster that appeared on Game Changers, there'll be... You know, you appearing in Perth at some point when the Matildas play here and you're the number one sports scientist and we'll see you down at the Optus (laughs) Oval, do your thing. That'd be pretty cool. Love it. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You too. See you later. See ya. That was Michaela Lyons. Fremantle City. I'm not quite sure what the highest string in the bow is going to be, but if we say Fremantle City NPL player, aspiring sports scientist.
0: Oh, to be... 16 again looking yeah. at careers in sport oh, no. because great, you know when I was 16 there was no career in sport unless you're really good at it.
1: Now right. before we go to a break we definitely have to go through the other awards winners mm-hmm. uh, which are the men's side of things. you got them there, Jim. Are you watching them?
0: No, I've sort of like got him on the screen in front of me so go uh, for it. we'll go there so yeah. we've got uh it yes, looks so uh, yeah, as you mentioned Chuck from um, uh, Red Star won the uh, player of the year uh three votes in front of uh, three-time winner Daryl Nickel, his teammate, and then Dean Cummings to Sorrento was a further vote back, which is always interesting because Sorrento got relegated, but to still have someone in the top three. Yep, fantastic
1: be, effort.
0: Yeah, good effort. Well done, well done Dean. Um, they have scored
1: some nice signings already for next season.
0: Oh, oh haven't they? hmm mm, They mean business, don't they?
1: Neil Kenny,
0: Nice. So, and uh, so, look, just scrolling down because we had a few problems. Uh, Daryl Nickel won the uh, the golden boot the third time now, he's claimed that award.
1: Doesn't he get to, to keep like something? You would have after thought winning after winning
0: it three, three times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would have thought so. Ron
1: Tindall Award for NPLWA Men's Coach of the Year was Callum Salmon from Salmon. Perth Red Star. Yeah. Generally, the most successful team wins. wins the Coach of the yeah. Year spot.
0: And then um, Jaden Gorman of Perth Glory won the Dylan Sumbidis Young Player of the Year award. Yep. So, which is it's nice to. Dylan's still recognised in these awards as well It's such a in absolutely. A way was.
1: And Donna Grefey from DT38 was there to present it, which was oh, fantastic. Great stuff. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. It looked like a good night out, really, didn't it? And so um,
1: and it was live streamed. I don't know anyone that actually caught the live stream um, from my family, but um, pretty sure it uh, goes out to a lot of households that couldn't make it there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Men's goalkeeper of the year was James Bostet from Sterling Macedonia. And men's goal of the season was Daniel... Zivkic. Zip- Zip- yep, thank you. <laughs> so from Sterling Macedonia.
0: Uh, and, and also uh, Olympic Kingsway Club Secretary Mandy, Mandy Gordon, like Club Administrator of the Year Award. Again, you know, it's not just the playing staff. Yep. It's those hard-working people behind the scenes that also get recognised, so... Yep.
1: And the Men's Fair Play Award went to Olympic Kingsway. The Under-20 Player of the Year was Keegan Chambers. The Under-18... Player of the Year, the Troy Bernard Player of the Year, it was a uh, tie with Santiago Flores from Perth Glory and Roland Balla from Perth Red Star.
0: Good stuff, really. Yep. And then a, uh, let's talk about the referees. Female referee of the year, Jasmine Bremer, and the male referee of the year being Stuart Beattie. So, yep. Congratulations to those two as well. Again, it's the, probably the toughest job on the day, isn't it?
1: 100. Uh, percent And Stuart turned up in his um, what do you call the Scottish dress? The kilt. Yep. As, as well as uh, Campbell, uh, I have to say Campbell looked far more impressive <laughs> because he had a foot of height on Stuart, yeah. but uh, equally impressive in the dress side of things. So, yeah, um, something that uh, my daughter went, why are those guys wearing dresses? I'm like, that's a traditional it's, it's, Scottish
0: dress. Yeah, yeah. But Congratulations to everyone. and uh, Absolutely. It's almost enough to bring on next year already. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's not going to stop. It'll just kind of merge into next year. We're going to go to a quick break and we're going to come back and chat with Anu Dong, media manager for the Matildas and Football Australia. This is Penn and Jim on the World Football Program. Stay with us.
5: Radio Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM.
1: Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station
4: sponsor.
2: These players want more. They want us to step off that field and win. win. The Matildas now get to measure themselves against world's footballing elite Till we outrun them Keep it going, we're not done till he's done, all the way through Till the pain pays off Till we make you
5: roar. Till we tell a bigger story
6: Till we settle the score, You don't mess with
2: it. Till we stop them, all. you can't beat the best. Till we do, do the proud, we're not
4: like the
1: rest. We're not done till it's done. Welcome back to the World Football Program. Penn and Jim in the studio, and the amazing, most magnificent Anne O'Dong on the line. Good morning, Anne. Good
4: morning, Penny.
1: Good morning, Jim. How are you both?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm okay. (laughs) He's
1: suffering a bit from all of his travels. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, i get I, I absolutely hear and feel you. <laughs> <laughs> I've
0: I no idea what day or time it is.
1: <laughs> know, but he's but he's here, right? He's turned up, so I'm like just get through the next uh, half an hour and you can go to sleep. You go back to bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the main thing. Uh, like we always
4: say when we're on tour, sleep
1: is
0: for the week. Yeah, sleeps are wimps.
1: <laughs> that, that's it. Absolutely, you choose it. You choose it. Uh, Till it's done, well, we did it. Did, did we do it, Anne? Tell me that we did it.
4: We did it to a certain extent, um, but we still have more to do. And that was kind of the messaging that we put out afterwards. Yeah, we're really proud of what we have done. We're proud of how Australia really got behind the team, how football galvanised, how we changed the narrative around women's football and women's sport and women's athletes. And we got the nation together in a way that we haven't done since the, Sydney Two Thousand Olympics. I mean, to know that the, the the most watched television event in Australian history is the Matildas Bath England um, is just phenomenal, with eleven point two million. And when we had um, a university reached out to us and actually did some more number crunching around, you know, the stadiums that it was watched at, the watch parties, the bars, all those mm. kind of things, um, they said that number was greater to 17.4 million Australians watched that game, which when you think about a population of 25 million, that is absolutely
1: insane. Yes. Now, tell us about the lead-up to the Women's World Cup when, I, I have to admit, I had my fingernails in my mouth going, oh, come on, it's going to land, it's going to land, it's going to land. But you and the conversation you and I had was like, we needed to do it this way, Pen. Why do we need to do it that way, Anne?
3: We're Australians and
4: we like to be a little bit late to stuff. <laughs> we like to see what's right in front of us. And then when the next thing happens, then we get excited. But if we're putting too much in front of Australians. We're like, not ready yet, still on something else. <laughs> um, and and we know this and we were aware of this. And when you're trying to build momentum, you what we do is we plot out what are the key milestones that we want Australia engaging with. Now, while that was happening behind the scenes, we were making sure we were putting all the building blocks in place, so that when we were ready to hit go, Australians knew what they had to do, Um, and I think that was that worked really, really well because when they were ready to engage, when they were ready to be involved, the fan sites were up and running. That you could new way to buy your tickets. You knew what you were going to be doing. We had the jerseys ready, although they sold out really quickly. Um, we had all the building blocks in place and it was just like, this is now how you get involved. And like I said, until if something is a bit abstract, we know from our data, we know from our experience that it doesn't quite hit Australians yet. But once they're in it, man, they absolutely get behind it. They really, really do. It's amazing.
1: Have we done all the right things or hit, are we hitting the right metrics post-Women's World Cup for Football Australia's liking?
4: We are, and but there's also more to do, but also it went better than we anticipated ever. I mean, even I was kept telling people that the Women's World Cup's going to be phenomenal. Um, it's going to be an experience like never before, but even I was unprepared for just how much it really captured the Australian public. So we're adjusting... Um, we're adjusting our planning um, and we're hearing also now and pulling the data of just how much um, people are getting involved in the game and we're hearing it anecdotally. You know, I've got a group of friends who um, never really had, you know, anything to do with football. Whenever I talk about the children, they will be like, oh, um, you know, that's Anne's job, that kind of thing. And now they're like, where do I play? Where do I sign up? I want to play football five. Oh, my God, I'm so in love with this player. How do I find out more about this player? <laughs> like, it's completely changed the conversation. They're like, oh, my God, you know so-and-so. How do we get to a game? When are you coming back next? All this kind of stuff, which just, it wasn't there before. So we're also having to adjust our plans on it and how we do this better. And, uh, you know, one of the big things was that $200 million fund announced by the federal government just um, during the World Cup as well. Because, again, um, Australians showed that. If you do it properly,
0: people will get behind women's sport. Hmm. So, Anne, I've just come back from the UK and the amount of people that was, oh, did you go to the games? It was really good, (laughs) great times. And and I wasn't expecting that from such a football-loving nation as the UK, but so many people were commenting on how good it came across over the television over there.
1: Hang on, you weren't expecting it from a football-loving nation? Well,
0: from the people that I speak to who are probably a little bit older than us, who is male-dominated sport. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And the, they were so
0: impressed, and I was amazed how many people watched the competition. Mm-hmm. They were really pleased with the way that it happened. And it sort of took me aback that I was like, yeah, I went to the games in Perfect. It was great. Yeah, we was watching all the games with the time difference. It was not a bad time difference. It was mornings for them, yep. all on free-to-air mm-hmm. television. And they were really impressed of how the standard... They was expecting. They were pleased with the standard. I don't think they were thought the standard yeah. would be as good as what they actually saw. And now they've seen it. More and more people are now engrossed in watching Women's Super League, the internationals that are coming up, and and yeah, it was quite pleasing that more people came up to me and said, "Oh, did you go to the games? Did you? You know, we was watching it on the TV." So
4: so we could probably. Ben, expect- it was actually a perfect storm, to be honest. Mm. Uh, it was probably a perfect storm. As I think World Cup twenty nineteen. Women's football, like I've loved women's football since Penny introduced me to the game as a <laughs> 16-year-old, you know. Um, but women's football in 2019 probably wasn't there yet quality-wise. It wasn't that the players were no good. We didn't have full professionalism. Yes. Now, with that, 2018 was probably the first full year of professionalism when you talk about club football and then the international contracts as well. Now, if you if they'd been watching it in 2019, yes, yeah, they, they probably would have gone, oh, damn, Still a bit dodge, mm. but by the time 23 comes around, that's and it's amazing, five years of full professionalism, what it's done for the game. It's
0: massive. It's massive. It's excellent. massive. Are you, you
1: referring you to just
4: Australia? Now, no, I'm talking about globally. I'm talking yeah. about Europe. I'm talking about, I mean, the USA has had it for a long time in terms of their national team, but they didn't have full professionalism in club football um, until most recently. I'm talking about... Um, even the players that play in South America are now going to European clubs with full professionalism. You know, the, the out staff for um, Colombia, uh, Linda Casado, she's 18. She plays for Real Madrid in a fully professional environment. Um, a lot of the Colombian girls are now playing in Europe in clubs where they are in professional environments. Same with the Argentine girls. You know, same with... Um, uh, the girls from Africa, you know, Asisada plays for um, Barcelona. Uh, Rashidat uh, Ajabadi plays for um, Atletico Madrid. So you're even the players that maybe in their own nations and continents, you don't have full professionalism. They're now moving to Europe where they do because they're that good. And guess what that mirrors? What happened in the men's game?
0: There was, yep. there was, while I was in the UK, there was a, uh, like the opening season of the WSL. Nice. And uh, Arsenal played at the Emirates Stadium, sold out. Couldn't get a ticket, 60,000. That's the record. Women's. Yep. Women's. Nice. And so, rolling out, we went to Stamford Bridge and we watched Chelsea Tottenham. And <laughs> there was still 25,000 at Stamford Bridge. Nice. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Sam wasn't playing and she wasn't even on the bench. But the the people were there. Really enjoyed it. Great game of football. Some good skill. And, yeah, absolutely loved it. And, you know.
4: And yeah. that's going to continue to grow. I mean, I look now, um, recently I went away with the junior Matildas um, at the um, AFC under-17 qualifiers. The yeah. skills in those junior Matildas, I mean, I, I say this openly, better than the skills of these senior Matildas at the same age,
5: Mm. because
4: we've had professionalism from the age of nine. These players are learning football. They're not Mm. just athletes learning football anymore. They're footballers learning football. And it's just a different mindset, different mentality, the way they move on the ball, the way they move off the ball. I mean, we saw last weekend with the A-League Women's kicking off, um, junior Matilda's co-caps and Grace Plurman, she scored her first goal in her first game. Um, and she's 16. Yeah. Um, and that's because the, the the whole trajectory of how we look at women's football has completely changed. And honestly, you know, this, I get so excited about the future because we've got players like Talia Yunus, Sienna Dale, we've got Grace, who I just mentioned, you know, Ruby Cusper, Indiana Dos Santos. All these girls are just coming through. Like Indy Dos Santos won a championship and a premiership with Sydney FC. Last year, as a fifteen-year-old, that—that's what's coming through, and Mm. that's where—and that's happening globally. So, I can't wait for the twenty twenty-seven Women's World Cup because it is going to be phenomenal. The quality.
1: What more can we expect in that space? There's been a lot. The the progress since the twenty nineteen World Cup has been amazing. Sponsorships, Mm -hmm. exposure, professional leagues, uh, people getting on board um more parity equity um what is the next biggest thing or more of the same in that space
4: i think it's more of the same i think it's more of um like i think it's bigger in terms of the investment so even though we talk about you know you talk about the commercialization of the game you do talk about you know attendances but that's only going to get bigger um, you know, you're going to have renewals of contracts where those broadcast rights agreements are going to be bigger again. And that being reinvested back into the game makes it... And we, again, all you have to do is look at the men's game to see what happens. You look at the old English um, First Division um, coming, uh, going down, the advent of the Premier League, you know, Sky pouring billions of dollars into the Premier League, which was invested into the club, and we saw what we have with the players now. It, it, that's, that's what's going to happen with the women's game as well. And, you know, we saw even the underestimation of the popularity of merchandise, of tickets, of everything to do with these teams. I think you're going to start to have historical data that doesn't allow you to underestimate that. And that's just going to, again, continue to increase um, what's in and around the game. We're already seeing it. We're already seeing it with the mega clubs that are starting to pop up, your Chelsea, your Bayern Munich's, your Barcelona's, um, your, your Ventus um, across in Italy and, um, you know, LAFC and San Diego in the US. That's just going to continue in the game.
1: And there's the answer to your question before, Jim, about free-to-air TV and why we don't get as much of the football on free-to-air TV is that it's about the money It's Mm. about that the pay providers are seeing that there's a big uptake and they want a slice of it. So they're going uh, faster than any free-to-air or government can do whatever they do. They're going, here here you go, pay for this membership, we're going to stream it for you. And they're going, thank you very much.
4: Except free-to-air is now also going, oh, we should be in here. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at Channel 7. Um, They had the grand final, I think it was $4.7 That was still less than the 7.3 million that were continuously watching the holders. The same with the NRL. That was also 4. I think that was about 4.6 million, just a little bit less than the AFL in terms of its figure. Figures. And once you have that, they go, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) People, people actually like women's sport. And it's like it's, it's funny what happens when you actually advertise it properly, market it properly. I mean, we. At football Australia, we didn't do anything different. We just marketed it properly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it hasn't been. In like that space we didn't. Before. We
4: didn't reinvent the wheel. We didn't do anything magical. We just put the same proper resources that you would do in a men's sport. That's all we did.
0: Well, mm. the, the, going back to three, two, head the BBC back in England or Britain and they have their match-of-the-day Saturday night program for the men's, but they've got now match-of-the-day with the Women's Super oh, League that's on. Nice. So you've got the highlights yeah. of all the games on a so Sunday nice. evening, which uh, was, was quite nice to, uh, to see as well. So Oh, wow. You know, and, and even if it's just a highlights package that's being shown on a, a free-to-air channel, I'm, I'm banging on for free-to-air. More football on the telly that's accessible to all.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. H- happy with that. So, and what did you say the post-Women's World Cup targets are?
4: Uh, the post women's World Cup target is fifty-fifty um, um, gender participation. So, net across coaching, refereeing, playing, um, we're not just focused, uh, and uh, we're not just focused on on the pitch. We're also focused on the ecosystem off the pitch. We want more women involved in our national teams. Um, in the Matildas, we have a 50-50 split in terms of our men's and women's in our national team staff. Um, and we want to be able to show women and girls that football is a game for you and there are multiple opportunities to be able to be involved. Um, that's what we want to show. We want to change the perception of who's involved in football and what you can do in the game. Um, and that's that's incredibly important to us because, I mean, I never knew this role existed. I never knew you could be a media manager hmm. um, of a football team. Um, but that's really important for us that, you know, girls... Because in that way, we keep girls in the game. So they might start out playing, they get to a certain age, and they go, okay, I'm probably not going to go on to the professional league, but maybe I can be a coach, maybe I can be a referee, maybe I can be the team doctor, maybe I can be the team um, manager, maybe I can be the team media manager. We want to keep women and girls in the game because it's incredibly important to us in terms of the ecosystem of playing.
0: Yeah. Uh, did you did you see the and I'm going on about referees but did you see the England australia game last week at Wembley i did yes, first better. time first time as refereed by a female more
1: of it please right. they they behaved like good little boys uh, I loved it
0: and she was very good
1: yes yeah, she was very yeah. good
0: you know she's, but what a role. The best female
1: referee she's the
4: best female referee in the world but mm. Let's take out female and go. Uh, she's one of
1: the best referees, referees in the world. The world exactly. exactly. Yes. But yes, exactly. I noticed the dynamic was different, Anne. Absolutely. So, and one of the things that non-football people say is oh, they, fairies are rolling around on the ground, all this remonstrating and blah blah blah. Just taken away from the game. I don't want to watch that. And so I watched this magnificent referee, female referee. Do what referee referee should be doing. And the guys weren't getting in close. They weren't putting a hand on her back. They weren't getting into her face. Mm. They weren't doing this. They weren't doing that. I'm thinking, that's normal. That's how it should be. Put more females in that role if that's going to happen that way. Because when it's a male referee, they do. They put their hand on the shoulder, they put a hand on the back. This is the players. Yeah. Do it to the referee. I'm thinking, don't touch the referee, dude.
0: Yeah. yeah. But eggs. I think also, I mean this
4: might be a little bit controversial, but I also think um referees from the women's game referee different um to those in the men's game so in the women's game if you're getting you know if you get clips or you get that kind of thing and you're all in your like you just don't do that in the women's game really like there's very few teams or players that actually do that so you watch you know the physicality of a women's game is like you just keep going you kind of keep going so you know a women's Football match is refereed kind of different because the players play differently. Now, bringing that mindset into the men's game, it's like, well, all right, shoulder to shoulder, you've gone down, rolling around. It's play on because that's what it would be in the women's game. It's mm. play on. Yeah. So suddenly, players play differently because they know they're not going to get that free kick. Yeah. <laughs> and oh. now they're down and they're out of the play. Yep.
1: Yep. And, and that's I, I, I love that. I saw that and I thought, oh yes. Oh, you know, if they show more games where there's females of that quality refereeing, I think there's going to be no, more yeah. females of that quality refereeing.
4: Thanks. And there is. We've got, in our own system, we've got Kate Jackowitz and um, Casey Rybell, who um, referees men's football, whether it's the Australia Cup or the A-League men's competition. Um, you know, the, the first person to do it was an um, absolute legend um, of of, fo- of women's football and Bibiana Steinhaus. She was... Referring in the Bundesliga, mm. um, men's football. Um, so it, I hope it becomes something that is just like we're not really talking about it because it's just something that you see. Yeah. I
0: absolutely. think it was just talked about because it was the first. But first absolutely. Of, and, first and that's what many. I mean. I hope,
4: yeah, I hope we get to a stage where we aren't talking
1: about it because it's not the first anymore. Mm. It's just, that's what happens. It just is. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, Anne. Courtney Vine, let's yeah. just talk about. We, you know, we, we can talk about the Matilda's effect. We, that's all this conversation, but let's talk about the Courtney Vine effect. Is that young lady the next Australian icon? <laughs> Oof, I never get into
4: this because we've got so many great players. I, I'm, I'm openly, I, I'm really honest. Courtney, that's that's the beauty of this team, and we saw that in the moment when Sam was injured. You know, as soon as she was injured, there was a lot of questions of us as a team. Mm. Is, is Is this the end of Australia? Can Australia know? Like, we always knew internally we had fantastic players all across the board, but the public didn't. And what I loved around the World Cup is the public then finally got to see Courtney Vine, Mary Fowler, Kyra Cooney-Cross, Katrina Gorey, Claire Hunt, Mackenzie Arnold, you know? And so it went oh yeah this is a team um and that's what i love about our team is like there are like i said i've named off seven players there that are fantastic players playing in some of the top teams around the world and in the best leagues and in the best competitions. claire Hunt just made her champions league debut and played 90 minutes for paris saint germain Mm -hmm. as they beat manchester united Mm -hmm. to make it through to the champions league like can you believe those are words I'm saying about an Australian player?
1: So let me take you back maybe three or four years where I feel that in Australia we needed a Sam Kerr to be an icon. Sam Kerr's not in Australia. She's playing overseas. But mm-hmm. she's an icon here. We yeah. idolise her. She's won awards. She's the first person we think of when we think of Matilda. She's the first person that new newspapers and commercial networks put up when they talk Matildas. Now, yeah. it's not that. And I'm happy about that. So I don't yeah. necessarily want, and I'm agreeing with what you said, I don't necessarily want Courtney Vine to be an icon. It's great. There's some amazing photos coming out with her at at schools and being out in the communion. So I, I love that. But I also love the fact that we recognise all those other players now and this is the mm-hmm. Matildas. This isn't just Sam yeah. Kerr and the Matildas. It's the Matildas. It's, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: and we've got now... You know, um, Mary Fowler was nominated for the Golden Girl, which is a prestigious award for best young player in the world. Uh, We've got um, Hayley Razzo and Sam Kern nominated for the um, France Football Ballon d'Or. We've got Sam, Caitlin and Mary all nominated for the FIFA the best. We've got Mackenzie up for the best goalkeeper. We've got Tony up for the best coach. Like, we are now in a space where... We are in the conversation um, around best teams, and we finished fourth in the World Cup and fourth in the Olympics. Like, do you imagine what we'd be saying about Australian football teams
1: that mm. five years ago? It's, pretty cool. it's by, pretty cool. By the way, Christine Sinclair, Sinclair oh, is retiring from National football, and uh, oh. I'm I'm, I'm going to do a brag moment here, right? So. Um, <laughs>
5: it's,
1: Christine stayed back after the World Cup, after Canada were knocked out, so to speak, and um, you know some nice selfies circulated around with people that knew Christine. And and uh, I said, Tom, Tom, can you, Tom Somani, who's working with the um, Canadian team, said, Tom, Canadian. can you, yeah, you get me something from um, Christine Sinclair, I think something signed, a shirt or a cap or something, in the mail. I get a signed shirt from Christine oh. Sinclair. I'm like, oh, <laughs> You're the man. <laughs> like, she's just oh, one of those fantastic. players that I idolise just by, by longevity. Like I love people who stay in something they love for so long and it just shows me that they are people who put in and Christine's one of those people and I just... And
4: Christine is one of those players that, you know, the... And it's one of the reasons why we try not to hype up our young players too much. We just let them evolve naturally into the players that they're going to be and just give them that space to be able to thrive and to shine because that label of the next big thing, is such a big label to put on the shoulders of a young person. Mm. And Christine Sinclair and Marta both, from the age of 18 they had that label of best, next best young thing. And the way they've been able to not only live up to that label, but to transcend it and to transcend the game in a way, um, is absolutely incredible. And to be 40 years old, she's been in the spotlight since she was an 18-year-old. She's carried Canada for two decades. Uh I mean, as you can hear, we have an enormous amount of respect for Think and it's going to be a really sad moment to see her retire from international football, but the way she's left the game, um, as as the girls always say, they want to leave the game better than they found it. And she definitely has um, for Canada, but also for
1: globally as well. Now on that, I would like to say that one of the things that has come out of the Women's World Cup and that I'm also very passionate about, I am a p- passionate person about a lot of different things in women's football, especially here in Western Australia, <laughs> is. Pioneers and recognising people, not just players, but people that have been involved with the game all the way along. And I think that we did that really well during the Women's World Cup. There was more people globally that wanted to know about our pioneers, and locally Mm -hmm. here they wanted to know who uh, Sharon Matildan was and the the players who were in the 1975 team. And Mm. were they a club team or or were they an Australian team? doesn't matter what the answer is. doesn't matter what the answer (laughs) is. But the fact that we talked about that and we recognise that we've been involved in this sport for that long, but it's only now that we're coming to recognise all of those and put them on a platform for what we think is where they should be. I love that.
4: And that was one of our key um, tenants in terms of our comm strategy was to utilise the spotlight and the moment to be able to, highlight and thank the pioneers of the game um and that was again that was a really big piece for us because you don't have the game here without those that um i always just i always try and say is those that were toiling in the dark and waiting for the lights to come on Hmm. and in 2023 the lights came on and we needed to give them the opportunity to actually shine in it
1: Mm. yes i think we did that now before we let you go I do have to say, uh, or ask, when you sit back in your Football Australia office, if you manage to ever have 30 seconds to sit down in an office, um, what do you think of at the beginning of the week that your job is, and then at the end of the week, do you tick boxes?
4: Um, I think that's a pretty philosophical question in some ways, because it's it's, the, what is my job, and then what are the things that I do? Again, pretty much like the girls, my job, I think my job is to ensure Australian football and in particular Australian women's football um, is known by as many Australians as possible and loved by as many Australians as possible. Now, at the end, like, the way I do that is it could be that week I'm looking after a big magazine photo shoot with a couple of the players involved or I'm organising something with ABC um, to get a good piece out there. Like, there's lots of little things that I do in my job, but ultimately, every single day, I go to work and say, how can I make sure everyone knows and loves women's football um, in Australia? And now, luckily, I get to also say internationally, how do we make sure everyone knows, every single Australian knows who the Matildas are, every single Australian knows how you can get involved in football um, and love the game. And whether that's you want to be a player, a coach, a referee, an administrator, um, in media as well, um, that's, that. I feel like that's my job. And I will keep going in this job um, and I'll keep going into this job until somebody comes along who can do it better than I can and take the baton and run with it and continue that nice. mission.
0: Nice. I don't think that's going to be for a, a long time yet. <laughs> do, you,
1: do you know? Do you know, Anne? I I have to say that um, I launched a women's football site during the World Cup, womensoccer mm. and in there I wanted to recognise West Australian pioneers of the game, and it's a long process. I only got a quarter of the job done, mm. um, <laughs> but, but I also wrote a timeline, and and I feel that I want to hand over stuff to someone else at some point. But you know what? Mm-hmm. That won't happen for a long time, no. because uh, there's always so much to be done. And I, I, I feel, I feel what you're you're saying. I, I get it, and I just keep doing it, and until the job's done, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there you go. Till it's done. Yes. Um, oh my but God. Yeah, yes. But, that,
4: <laughs> but that's, I mean, but that's the thing is, um, you know, part of my role too, is I'm trying to identify the next generation that, so we can hand it over to people who are equally as passionate. I love it as much as we do because, you know, you're talking about being absolutely jet-lagged, um, Jim. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember in 2021 I was away from home 229 days out of the 365. Uh, there's only so many years I can continue to do that before yes. it's somebody else's I got to pass it on to somebody else. Yep. And we got to find those people and we've got to nurture them and we've got to build them up so that they are in the position ready to take over and continue to run with it. A Otherwise, succession plan. What are we doing?
1: Yep. Absolutely. Yes. And you're a legend. Keep doing what you're doing as long as you can. We mm. all appreciate it and we all love it. And, you know, one day you'll come back and sit in this studio and we'll love that too, okay?
4: Penny, you are also the legend <laughs> and um, have been here um, for much longer than I have. And um, WA football doesn't fully understand how
1: incredibly lucky they are to have you. Thank you very much, Anne. You have an awesome time during this Olympic qualifying period and everything that happens. Thank you.
4: Absolutely, and hopefully everyone has got their tickets. Match Day 1 and Match Day 3, unfortunately, are sold out. There are still match tickets to up to stadium for Match Day 2. So hopefully we'll see you guys all at the games and just enjoying a celebration, an opportunity to celebrate women's football here in
1: WA. Thanks, um, Anne. Where I grew up. Thank you. Have an awesome weekend. Take care, Anne. Will do. Thanks. Thanks, Penny. Thanks, Jim. See ya. Anu Dong, legend, media manager, Football Australia, and Len is coming in next with the Jazz Show, Bags Groove. Thanks, Jim, very Thanks much. Penny. See you later, everyone.
0: Take care.